pastor is uh, preaching somewhere. Kalamazoo, thank you. Thank you for that. I kept, I kept saying Battle Creek, and I knew that wasn't right. Yeah, he's preaching in Kalamazoo today, and I said, thanks a lot. He's supposed to be my backup. So, um, so what we did is um, last week when I found out that I was going to be carrying it this week, um, I asked my very special friend, Sister Elaine. Uh, first, I asked Pastor. And then um, she has ministered to us online with our Zoom prayer. And um, I've also been with her, uh, with us, a pastor's wife in Kentucky. She's really in Tennessee, but they're part of the Kentucky uh, district, Sister Ellis. And I've been on when she taught with Sister Ellis. And she's just got, a, she's a prolific writer and a great mind. And I always like that. It reminds me of my husband, Harold. So I've got Harold's. Junior over here in the woman's body, <laughs> and um, and then also uh, last week um, after the lesson, um, Giselle came. This is Giselle. Uh, she came up after we t- after our lesson last week, and we had such a great conversation, and. Um, then when Pastor um, gave me the rain and I could do whatever I wanted, right? So I just started, my brain just started going like, you guys know I have this, such this creative brain that just won't quit. And so I just, the, all these ideas started shooting in my head about how I could um, teach tonight. And I love to team teach. That's just who I am, if you get on my Zoom prayer, you know I teach and then everybody teaches with me. I'm calling on this one and that one and we, and we, we yes, I give an idea, but then everybody joins in and I love it when everybody interacts. That's, that's where I get um, excited, when all these ideas form together and it's such, it makes such a beautiful tapestry. And so that is what we're going to do tonight. We're going to attempt to do this tonight. And so um, I'm going to have to keep my uh, eye on my clock because 1939, I have no idea what that means. (laughs) It's a countdown of how much we should do. So I'm going to try to um, be um, mindful of the time. And we're going to try to attempt this and end at 830. That's my goal. We'll see what happens, right? You always say, God willing. (laughs) So if we could all stand and I'll read the scripture. Luke 4, 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. You may be seated. I'm going to call this Thy Kingdom Come. Last week we talked about the forgotten gospel. And this week we're going to talk about the gospel of the kingdom. And um, I'm going to start... The gospel of the kingdom is a healing message. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel where to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. And this is the acceptable year of the Lord. I'm telling you, uh, Pastor John, your message Sunday was so awesome. This is the year. (laughs) This is the year where great things are going to happen. And I'm so excited to see what God is going to do. So the Lord taught us how to pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. In the garden he prayed, not my will, but thine be done. 
everyone, if you spend any time at all seeking the Lord, will have a time when the Lord is calling you to step out and try a new thing. When Jesus came on this earth, he knew what, his, uh, what he was going to have to do. He already knew it was in the plan, in the word, in the will of God. He knew what the plan and will of God was. And he was trying to portray that to his disciples. And when he went into the garden, he's like, God, I want this, I want this to pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Sometimes God is calling us to a work that is heavy and a burden that we might not want. When uh, God essentially called me because I married Harold, I had the choice of marrying Harold to become a, a preacher's wife, that wasn't my intention. I, all through junior high and high school, I had tutored in special ed, and that was my calling and purpose. That was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be, um, and later on, I wanted to be a missionary. So it was between that being a missionary, and I thought, well, God, maybe you're calling me to the foreign lands to teach special ed. <laughs> I don't know how I'm gonna, what I'm going to do. But I went to school, and I tutored all in junior high and high school to become a special ed teacher. And I'll never forget, um, after I was married and I was, I was washing dishes with Esther one day, and I said, Esther, I really believe that I could have a special needs kid. And she said, oh, Renee, don't say that. You don't know what you're saying. And I didn't. And God gave me a special daughter, Ashley, my Ashley. She's very special to me. But God directed and shaped and formed my life and called me to this role that I, I am in right now. Even though it wasn't a role that I desired, it was heavy for me because I saw my mom struggle as a pastor's wife. She was a very much an introvert and behind-the-scenes woman and very much a perfectionist. And she was just, um, she had uh, colitis and she was nervous for the, uh, the spotlight that was on her. And I saw a lot of grief come from that. And I, and I just, I wanted to be free of that. I just wanted to be normal. <laughs> I just wanted to be like everybody else. But God knew when he had put Harold Hoffman in my life. And when I married Harold, I had to take on that role as a preacher's wife. God shaped and formed me to that role. So when, asked, when Pastor asked me to team teach with him, my first reaction was, no. It's not something I like to do. If in the, how long have we been here? I don't know. Is it 35 years? <laughs> I'm not very good with numbers. Okay, in the 35 years that I've been here, how many times have you seen me here? Mother's Day twice. And I had a group with me. Does that tell you something? This is not my comfort zone. So when, when pastor asked me to team teach with him, well, actually, he first asked me to teach. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing it alone. I need you to, can we team teach? Yes. And the more I thought about it, the more excited I got because all these ideas, see, this is where it gets me out of my fears because my brain starts going, and then I get a, teach all these things that, you know, when I'm in the car and I'm trying to preach to him, he's not listening. <laughs> he's shutting me down. I'm thinking, oh, I get to introduce these ideas, and he's a captive audience. He's going to have to let me talk <laughs> and tell about all these things that I've learned. And so my, my brain just went crazy. And when I did, it's like, it's like when we went to uh, Mexico and went to the Chichen Itza and climbed the pyramid. And going up, I was so excited, climbing, climbing, climbing up those stairs. I just felt like I could conquer the world climbing up that, that uh, pyramid. And then I got to the top, and I am deathly afraid of heights. But the stairs were so steep that you didn't notice that you were going up. All I saw was the stairs. But when I got to the top, oh, what have I done? 
where am I? Oh my Lord, what have I done? And there was a hut at the top and I rushed into, I made a beeline for that hut. And I was there for an hour trying to talk myself out of that hut to come down. And I'm thinking, my God, what have I done? And how am I going to get down? How am I going to get down? And I strategized and, and thought, and I saw these ropes on the sides of the stairs. And I thought, oh, my escape route. I'm going to back out. I'm going to have Harold hold my hand, and I'm going to back out so I don't have to see how high I am. And I'm going to go down the same way I came up. I'm going to hold on. And by thinking about this and, 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 and thinking creatively, I was able to talk myself out of that hut, and I climbed down those stairs, facing the stairs. And this is how I feel when I'm creating a, a lesson or planning a lesson. It's the same way I am with toddlers. I'm so excited and full of ideas, and I'm coming, and then you have to do it. And it never goes as planned. It never goes as planned. What have I done, and what have I got myself into? I didn't talk toddlers for a while. And when I first, and when I went in, I had all, if you know me, I, the, the Sunday school room looks like an explosion went off. And I went in there and I'm like, I was so excited about all the ideas. And, and then I got the kids so wound up and crazy, I couldn't keep control of the class. <laughs> it was pure chaos. <laughs> but sometimes we have to face our feel, fears. And so when I taught last week, uh, Giselle came and started talking to me and I found we had so much in common <laughs> and I asked her to join me tonight because when we talked I discovered she likes to write she journals just like I did at her age and I began to relate to some of her struggles when she was talking about some of her struggles it was like I was transported back to when I was her age and um, I say, um, quiet waters run deep. And there's a deep well within her. And I, and, I, and I was just so inspired by her hunger for the Lord. And I asked her Sunday, would you come up and join me? And at first she was like, what? <laughs> On the platform. She didn't understand that I wanted her up here. <laughs> That wasn't clarified, and neither did I clarify to Lane that it was going to be taped. I'm sneaky. Surprise. Yes, yeah, surprise. So I wanted, I wanted to put her on the spot, and I'm asking her to take a step of faith and do a new thing tonight and share with her her vision, her struggles and in doing so, open our eyes to the fact that although we might be at, at different stages in our lives, the struggles that we have are common to all of us, no matter the age. And so I sent her some questions because I didn't want her to be blindsided. I wanted her to be able to be prepared. So the first question, Giselle, when you pray and you feel the Lord is asking something of you, how do you process that thought? You gotta put, push it up. There you go. Is it on? It should be. Huh? There it. It's on. It's on. Thank you, Jesus. Oh my goodness. He okay. performed a miracle. <laughs> um. Wow. Okay. Um. So thank you for having me. Um, I lose my train of thought so easily. So Ditto. I, I need to find my place really quick. But um, yeah, we were talking about this and I was so scared. <laughs> but um, you like told me that it was about like fear and, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I'm dealing with. And so I'll get into that later. But um, I, you ask me when I pray, and the 
Lord asked me to do something, um, how I process it. Um, if I'm being honest, up until recently, and like recently, I mean like this week, I would just ignore it because I'm like, God doesn't think I can do this. Like, um, even when I felt like I, I was starting to like consider it, I would turn the other way because I would think too much about it because I'm like, I deal with so much <laughs> stress and anxiety. And um, so I remember when you asked me, I like vividly remember, I was just like dreading, oh my gosh, you asked me and I was like, um, maybe <laughs> not. <laughs> um, but I told you I would think about it and um, I eventually ended up accepting the author, o- offer because, um, you know, I feel like it was God's purpose. And um, even though my flesh is, like, screaming at me, like, even now I'm just, like, I shouldn't fear because God is with me. Kind of like what you were saying about the um, going up the hill. Yeah. Like you're holding God's hand up the hill. But even when you're scared at the top, you still got to hold his hand back down it, even when you're going wow. down. That's a beautiful thought. And that, that's what I'm saying relating when she said, um, lose your train of thought. That's what would happen to me um, if I would, um, when I was younger especially, and even now, um, I can lose my chain. I've, I've got, I'm sure I have attention deficit. Of course, we all self uh, diagnose herself, right? <laughs> I'm so distractible. And so when I would get in front of an audience, um, I literally would get so, I like to look at people. Well, if somebody's yawning or laughing or whatever, I get distracted by, and I lose my train of thought or I freeze and my brain gets brain freeze also. So I, so when pastor asked me, you have to face that fear of failure and not being perfect. You have to overcome that fear. And um, another thing that you do is you write your thoughts down. How does this help you process your emotions when you're going through things? And do you ever write prayers to God? Uh, Yeah, I do. It's sort of funny because (laughs) I just started this, like, prayer journal thing because I'm such a perfectionist. And, like, every time I'll be, like, writing... And I misspell words all the time. Like, it's so annoying. But I'll misspell something, and then I'll, like, rip out the page and get annoyed. And then, like, even getting a new notebook, I'm like, it's too pretty to, like, mess up. So I don't want to write in it. But, um, so I was super hesitant to, like, start this. But um, eventually I did, like, the end of the month in March. And, um... I started writing, and I, like, wrote down, if I misspell anything, if my writing goes, like, sideways or something, I'm just going to keep going because it's, like, I'll just keep myself from doing it if I keep, like, ripping it out. So, um, But I'm not even joking. As soon as I, like, started writing in it, like, things just started happening, and I was, like, oh, my gosh. Um, Like opportunities were just like popping up like this one and it was just like crazy because it was like all these challenges and it was exactly what I was writing down I was dealing with more and more and I was like that's really weird (laughs) and um I feel like it really gives you like a more intimate relationship with God like um maybe you'll like be writing down like scriptures or like just what you're dealing with like my first page was just like here's what's going on in my life right now, what season I'm in. I can look back at the stuff and, like, like remind myself if I forget, like, where I came from and God, like, changed all that, so. I think um, uh, Elaine and I were talking about this. Sister Elaine and I were talking about this at dinner tonight, and I said sometimes uh, when I'm on Zoom prayer, there's such inspiration that comes so fast with the Scripture that I'm just writing down scripture and I'm not writing down my thoughts. And then while I'm ministering um, in Zoom prayer, it's just coming to me. I mean, it's just flowing out. But when I'm done, I'm thinking, what did I just say? Oh, that was so good. And she's saying, 
Renee, write down your thoughts because you can't always go back and, and grab hold of it, that it can be elusive, and you're not always going to remember. And Esther taught me this, too. She always keeps a notebook by the side of her bed, and when she gets inspiration in the middle of the night or in prayer, she writes it down. It's so important that book of remembrance, guys, because it helps us with our faith. When we go through something, it strengthens us when we can go back and look at what God has done. It helps us. Can you tell me a time when you felt the Lord asked you to do something and you stepped out in faith and obeyed? <laughs> and how did that go? <laughs> well, right now. Yeah. Um, I um, touched on it earlier, but when you asked me, I like wrote about it all in my journal. And I was, um, even when you were like talking to me, I like felt to shift like when we talked last Wednesday. But um, I was really wanting to connect with you because you're like the, the second in command. And I'm just like, I need <laughs> I to <wish. laughs> build a relationship with you. I mean, like, like a, um, just a mentor. And, um, you know, you and pastor were talking about like bridging the gap. And yeah. so I was like, well, I should probably talk with you. And um, so skip ahead to Sunday. Um, you came up to me at the first service, and as soon as you asked me, I was just like, oh my gosh, why me? <laughs> I was I was so like, why would she choose me out of everybody here? Like, I did not feel qualified, but I was trying to act cool and collected, you know, but oh my gosh, wow. I was freaking the heck out. I did not want to do this. It's live streamed. It's in front of like a bunch of people. Yes. Most of them are more like qualified for this than me and um the next service I was just at the altar and I was like pleading with God and I was like give me a sign Lord give me a sign and I probably prayed that like 10 times and he kept giving me a sign and I'm just like trying to ignore it you know but um <laughs> you should just like take it as a sign yeah. in it of itself that he asked you to do it and the opportunity is there because it's like that's your sign right there. If if somebody asked you to do that, he knows you're qualified for that. Um, so we see all our faults and we identify with them. Just like Moses, he kept making excuses, but God wouldn't present you with an opportunity if he didn't know what you were qualified and if he wasn't confident in you, even if you're not confident in yourself. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> My voice was kind of shaky in the beginning, but I mean, you just lose whatever. yourself though when you start getting into the subject. And this is me uh, because her, just how she's describing is what happened to me when Pastor said I had to teach alone tonight. The same feelings. And the same feelings of inadequacy because he's such a great teacher. And I, and I even told, I think it was Esther today. Oh, I hope they're not too disappointed that they don't get pastor because he's got such a great mind and he has such great depth. And, but I humbled myself and said, God, but I'm going to offer you, just like she said, there's something here and somebody here that needs to hear this message tonight. And I believe it's God ordained and I'm going to obey my pastor. It's not something that I'm comfortable with or that I feel um, extra qualified or um, I don't have the mind that he has, but it doesn't matter. God has a calling and a purpose for this service. And I'm trying to show you, just as she's speaking, immediately I'm relating. It doesn't matter the age. We're bridging a gap. We're common things that, we are fear that we're struggling with. Isn't that amazing? Can I say something about yes. that? Me and you were, um, like, texting about the whole, like, yeah. bridging the gap thing. Um, and so I'm going to repeat it because it was pretty good. Um, people look at age as, like, a deal breaker for when it comes to, like, God's calling. Like, I, I did for a while. But um, the Bible contradicts that completely. You know, in Jeremiah 1.7, it says, The Lord replied, Don't say I'm too young, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. Jesus told people to have faith like little children and to let the children come to him. And you brought up that um, 
the older generation feels the same way. Um, they feel like they can't be used anymore, and um, times have changed, so they're outdated. But um, it's kind of sad because we all struggle with it. It's like both ends of the spectrum of ages yeah. are just forgetting this. And even though times change, God doesn't. He's steadfast even when we think we're outdated or too young. God has a plan for us, and we need to trust it. And I love, isn't that great, guys, from the mouth of children? So do you feel comfortable sharing with me what the Lord is calling you to now and the fears and obstacles that you're facing that are hindering you from acting on the calling? Um, Definitely going out and, like, spreading the gospel, like making disciples. I've been struggling with, like, fear of people, but, like, I'm learning over time that, like, you shouldn't be fearing people. The only person you should be fearing is God. And um, our time on earth is a vapor, and high school is even smaller, so I shouldn't be worried about, like, what people think of me or ashamed or afraid or anything. Um, Psalms 27, one says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Um, this world is getting pretty crazy and kind of like what Pastor John was talking about with like the rats in the water, the ones that didn't have anything to hope for just gave up. Yeah. And people are drowning in fear and like worry. And, um, yeah, it's just sad to think about. So. See that burden that's on her? See that burden that's resting upon her? This is what I saw, guys. This is what I saw. Young and old, we all have a purpose God has called us to a a purpose in this church. We all have a calling that God wants to fulfill. And this is what the connection that we had when we spoke. It doesn't matter the age. There's this connection, this hunger to do more, a hunger after the Lord. When I was a kid, when I was her age, I remember uh, we were always talking about witnessing, and I thought, I'm going to bring my Bible to study hall. And I, and I brought it, and it was like this auditorium, okay? So it was like our auditorium. And I, and I had my Bible open, and I was reading my Bible and looking around subconsciously because I felt so conspicuous reading my Bible. And this girl kept turning around and smiling at me, and I thought she was making fun of me. <laughs> and I'd hurriedly look. I'd kind of smile and then look down at my Bible like, oh, God, she's making fun of me, she's making fun of me, she's making fun of me. But after the study hall, she came to me and she said, are you a Christian? Yeah, kind of, (laughs) sort of. Yes, I am. And she said, that is so cool. And I love how you're reading your Bible in study hall. That is so cool. And we became so close. And there couldn't have been two more different people uh, than she and I. But from that, there were five people that got baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost in that in my senior year, just for me stepping out. We can build walls to protect ourselves, and rejection steals the best of us by reinforcing the worst that has been said to us. And sometimes we have this fear, but what if, what if they reject me? What if I, what if I mess up? What if something happens that, that I mess mess this up but God is saying step out in faith answer my call I want to turn this there's one other thing that I want to talk about it's magnifying the wound we can take a small thing and magnify it to the point that it can become a major ordeal or wound this happens because it triggers a memory and remember we talked about getting stuck in the past we can it triggers a memory of a wound from the past that we can bring into the present. So we have multiplied the two together and have an, an out-of-proportion reaction to the issue. The spirit of a man 
will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear. We want to take the present day conversations that we have and the present day issues that we are dealing with. Yes, we can go back to the past, but we need to not multiply it, learn from that, subtract it from our worries and our cares and realize what God has done for us and go forth so we can process it in the light of truth, his perspective, others' perspective, not just our own. Lord, help me to speak the truth in love, but also to help me to receive the truth in love. When we give attention to the weak and foolish thoughts and let fear and insecurity take over, we bankrupt our perspective every time, and we put our thoughts above Christ's thoughts. We need to take that captive and put it under the, the uh, authority of the Lord. He has conquered all. He came to this world, and, and, and when, you know, last week was Palm Sunday, and he came riding on a donkey, showing his humility. Someday he's going to come out and proclaim He's the Lord of Lord and, and uh, Lord of all. Every tongue is going to uh, conf- uh, profess him. Every knee is going to bow. But he came humbly to this world and conquered, given, gave, gave us the opportunity to conquer all those fears. If we put it under his dominion, we can put cast down every imagination and everything that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bring it into obedience of Jesus Christ. Jesus saved my soul, but the word saved my mind. You're going to steer to where you stare. Think about um, the fig tree. When Jesus came and saw that fig tree and it wasn't bearing fruit, what did he do? He cursed it and it withered. And then when they came back, uh, when, the, when they came back later and the disciples saw that it was withered, they said, look, God, look, Lord, the, the tree is withered. And he said, if you have faith, you can say to this, and don't doubt, you can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and it shall remove. And we can either let our faith wither <laughs> and speak negative into our thought life, or we can take those thoughts captive and say, God, I am going to go out. And do that thing that I fear, that thing that you're calling me to do. I am going to yield to you. Um, I want to turn it over to Elaine because I want her to have time and opportunity to speak. And I spoke longer than I planned. (laughs) We talked about this and I said, I'm not going to talk a long time. And I get excited about all that I have to say. Go. Do you want me to go? Yes. Well, I um, thank you, Sister Hoffman for this invitation. I was on the um, lift. She's been wanting me to get on it for over a year, and it just hasn't worked out. And um, I wasn't going to remind her, so I was waiting for her, and I don't even know how it happened. Um, I think it was because I was on the awake session. Sister Ellis, as she mentioned, um, I had done a winter awake session um, with Sister Hoffman, and it was wonderful, and then I did a spring one. And Sister Ellis... um, had given us a scripture that we were to use. So all of this is coming together. And as I ministered, she had me minister uh, last week. And I'm not going to share that. At first she wanted me to share it. But yesterday I felt that shift in the spirit. And I needed to be obedient to her, to what God was telling me to do. And now I know why. I know why. Um, because it, when we're done, you're going to see that this is all fit in together. And so it is divine providence, even though she didn't tell me all the details. Um, but here I am. <laughs> so, but as I, as Sister um, Hoffman, after we got done, I was ministering and we were chit chatting, and she said, "I want to call you. I want to call you when I'm done. I want to ask you something." Had no clue. And then it was about this. And I went, "Oh boy." And so I said, "Okay." And so I, the next day. Early in the morning, as I laid in bed praying and meditating, I hadn't got up yet, the Lord spoke one word to me to share with all of you. And I'll, and I'll go into it more later. But the word was um, repositioning. And that's all it was. But it was very clear. It was very clear. So 
I do believe that God has a word for us as individuals and also as a corporate body. But the scripture that Sister Ellis had all of us use was from Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. It said, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it and know it? And will you not give heed to it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. What does it mean? What does the word behold mean? It means to fix our eyes upon, to see with intention, to observe with care, to direct one's eyes to, to consider, to look again. There was a, a gentleman I love, I'm like Sister Hoffman, I love, I love the word of God, and I love words, and I love dictionaries, and I am the type of personality that I want to see it, I got to hear it, and I got to touch it. I, when I write, I create word pictures, and when I speak, I like to create word pictures. So I might get a little wordy here, but um, I want, I want, to me, I, I don't want people to have to get a dictionary and say, what did she just say? You know, Hezekiah said, make it plain so that those that read it can run with it. And that's my desire. But this gentleman, it was so perfect. And he said, he wrote, he said, behold is one of those words that appears in the Bible and the scriptures. He said he had been reading the word for over 40 years. He said it, it appeared, the word behold appeared so frequently that it seemed self-explanatory that he had come to view the word behold the same way he did telephone poles as he drove alongside the road. He said, I pass them all the time, and I never noticed them. And I, I was troubled by that. It hurt me, and I thought, one word, behold, and it's in the Bible 1,298 times. So I think that God is trying to tell us that we need to stop, pause, and consider the word behold. So in a, in a biblical sense, it means we must pay attention because there's something else that's to follow. Behold usually has a comma after it. Behold, what do you want me to behold? And then the Lord began to see, say, see, see. And it means to perceive by the eye, to perceive or detect as if by sight, to be aware of or recognize, to imagine as a possibility, to perceive the meaning or the importance of, to understand. It means to investigate inquire about, to turn one's attention to, to take notice, witness, to consider, examine. We all are familiar with the story in Exodus um, chapter 3, where Moses finds himself in the wilderness for 40 years just wandering, taking care of his father-in-law Jethro's sheep, or yeah, whatever, sheep. <laughs> and then he finds himself on a mountain called Horeb. But something happened there. He saw a bush that began to burn but it, didn't, it wasn't consumed. And because Moses turned and looked, there's that sea. He, he began to behold something. He said, I'm going to see why this bush doesn't burn. And so when he came closer, it was God's invitation, and I think that's what God does to us. He invites us. If we're not careful, if we're not looking, then why bother? Just like the telephone poles, we're going to pass them every day. And God's saying, stop and look and behold, I want to show you something. So Moses turned and he came closer. And because God saw, it says God saw that he turned to find out the why, it was that's when God began to speak to him. And then he began to bring direction to him, telling him that he was going to use him he knew about their bondage. He knew their struggle. It became very intimate time with him, holy ground that he actually took his shoes off, untainted by the soil of, of the, the grime of the world. And it was just him and God. And God began to tell him what his future was going to be. How beautiful. How beautiful. But it said that in one moment, though, Moses' life had changed. A new season had come upon him. In Ecclesiastes 3 and 1, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. Last year, I'm a word person, and every year I pray and ask God to give me a word. And I'm not going to discuss this year. It is for the church, but it will be held for another time. Anyways, my word was um, 
um, joy. So that was in October that the Lord had given that to me. So, you know, everything's out for Christmas, and I, I'm seeing everything with joy on it, joy pillows, joy with candles and whatnot, and my house is just filled with it. I want you to know it was anything but joy. It, it still is. I'm still in this, this very difficult, um, dark season, and um, very, very trying. And I was like, I don't get it, God, I don't get it. And eventually, the Lord spoke to me, because I was saying, I hate this season. And I said, I don't want to say hate. That is such a strong word. I said, I strongly dislike this season. Strongly dislike. And, but God is so patient with us, so loving, that he knows our frail state. And if we allow him, he'll let us kick and squirm. And then when we've had our little pity party, you know, and get back up, and he'll say, are you ready to listen? And he, he spoke that scripture to me. He said, to everything, there is a season and a time and a purpose. I fell to my knees. And I said, I repent, God. Because even though I don't understand this and how painful it was, it is. God, you said that there is a season and there was a time and a purpose. Time has a beginning and an end. It's not going to go on forever and that this season was going to serve a purpose. And I said, then I want to know what your purpose is. Don't let me just go through this trial, this season, kicking and screaming and have not learned anything from it, but let me find out what the purpose is. And he's doing, he ended up giving me a dream and explaining things to me, and God used it as I ministered during one of our prayer sections and um, it was about bees and a fly swatter. So I had my fly swatter, and I don't have a visual today. So, <laughs> But God is so good. But in Daniel, this is the other thing. I can't change the season that I'm in. You can't change yours. So you've got to find out what is it that God wants to beho- you to behold? What does he want you to see? And that he changes the times and the seasons in our lives. Jeremiah 1 11 through 12, it reads, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? If you go through the scriptures, there's a lot of scriptures that ask, What do you see? And how the word of the Lord came to them. And he said, I see a branch, a branch of an almond tree. And then the Lord said unto him, You have seen well, for I will hasten my word to perform perform it. So my prayer became, I want to see well. I want to see well. In the pulpit commentary, this author wrote this, Events are shaping themselves. Shall you not know it? Rather, will you not give heed to it? I love this. Better yet, will you not experience it? I was telling Sister Hoffman, and I didn't know this part, so as I get to the end, you're going to see this This is a divine connection. I said, I don't want to just know it. I don't want to just heed it. I want to experience it. It means it's an active participation in events leading to the accumulation of knowledge or skill by direct observation or participation. God requires our participation. Your skill is learned by doing something, not just watching. I want my spiritual eyes to see and my ears to be open to all the new sights and sounds that God is saying is springing up now. I want to experience them in all their wonder and glory. I will embrace this new season. Repositioning, I told you that was the word that the Lord spoke to me. It means to revise, to change the position, strategy, to disturb, to move, relocate. It's a shift, it's a transfer, to move something to a different place. How many of us like change? Some people love it and some people don't. How many of us dislike change and that find that it's very difficult. And how many of us feel that there has been a shifting? How many of us realize that God has a strategy? You know that there is a divine shift in our world right now, and God is getting this church, his kingdom, ready for such a time as this. There are many examples throughout the word of God when God repositioned people where they could become the most effective concerning his kingdom. 
God will continue to make room for your gifts and callings. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. God is not finished. Henry Walker said this, the pressure of the enemy. Has anyone felt the pressure of the enemy? Caused the repositioning of Isaac. We don't think that. But it was the pressure of the enemy that actually repositioned Isaac. God is allowing the pressure in your life to position or maneuver you to a purpose or destiny. Allow him to have his way. He is causing you to look beyond your comfort zone. This is not my comfort zone. And our familiar territory. He may position you to where you never imagined you would be. You will see that all that you've been through has trained you for your assigned battle station. And I am a witness to that. You don't know my story. You know, the scripture that says the same comfort where I have comforted you, you're to comfort others. You and I have a responsibility. It's not just about me. I have learned that. God has said that. Elaine, it's not about you. Even like the the season that I said joy, I'm like, I still kept the joy out this year, even though I didn't because he's given me things. And one of the scriptures Paul used, then eventually as I got to read it, I went, that's what you're trying to tell me, God. It was a joy in faith that others would watch and they could see me walk through this dark trial and still have joy in my faith. That's a testimony. We look at it like, I'm going to be happy. That's temporary. But nobody can do your assignment. Everything that has happened to you in your life was permitted by God and will work for his good and his glory, for your good and his glory. I'm not going to go into a whole bunch of detail because it would take too long, but my husband, I am a widow. Um, but after my husband passed away, someone had directed me to a book called Transitions. It's a secular book, but I was able to glean some very helpful insights. I had found myself at an ending of all that had once been familiar to me, and it was a struggle. I had learned that now I was now in a place of transition, leaving what was familiar. As I read the back of the cover, I soon began to understand my own feelings as to the position I had now found myself in. He said endings. Every transition begins one with, with one, and too often we misunderstand them, and we confuse them with finality. That's it. All over. Finished. My life is done. Yet how we recognize endings is the key to begin anew. And then he says the neutral zone, which is where I was at. And when there is an ending, before there can be a new beginning, you are going to be in that place of transition. The second hurdle of, is of that transition is an unproductive, seemingly time out when you feel dis- disconnected from people and things in the past and emotionally unconnected to the present, yet the neutral zone is really a time of reorientation. It doesn't mean that it has to be a death. It could be a move, you know, um, a loss of a dream, sickness, you know, what you thought, you ended that and now you're in this neutral zone, you're in this holding pattern, and you don't know what's next. It can be a very dark and lonely place, and that's when we do have to remain intimate with our God and know that his hand is upon us, and he's aware of everything that we're experiencing. But then we come to the new beginning. In transitions, we come to beginnings only at the end when we launch new activities You have to launch. You have to get out again and choose to make a a new life. It's going to be different. It's not going to be the same. And I had to learn to embrace that. To make a successful new beginning requires more than simply persevering. It's just not mind over matter. It requires an understanding of external signs and inner signals that point the way to the future which you were feeling is those external signs and that tug on your heart that I want more. I want more. I know there's more. I'm going to ask you a question. Years ago, I wrote an article about this, but um, it just kind of tied it all in. The Lord reminded me. Um, how many of you like to do puzzles? Do we like puzzles? You love puzzles. How, do you usually do the framework first? You want to gather all those pieces 
before you start finding all the pieces that go in the middle. I'm the same way. But what is the purpose of that, that framework of the puzzle? It holds all the other pieces together. And God, this is what I felt like the Lord wanted me to share. God has compared the older, older generation to just that. They're the ones that help hold things in place. As a younger generation right now, I know from my own church, we have a fabulous youth group. I go to Life Livonia. Anthony Harper is my son-in-law and my daughter Christy. And so I, I'm there to minister and a, a dynamic youth group. And I told them, I said, the older generation, were, they were doing what you guys are doing. It just wasn't visible. The fasting and the praying and, and the soul winning and the miracles that were performed. I said, but you're on social media, so everybody knows. But he has, there, there is an anointing there. But then the Lord reminded me, he said, what is the purpose of a door? You can look at the doors behind you. It is used to enter into a place or to come out from. In this season that we are right now, just as I said, our youth seem to be the focal point. They are quite visible and being positioned for greatness. They represent the door. It's very visible. But without the hinges on the door, the door is inoperable and even becomes a hindrance. How does the door stand up? The older generation represents the hinges that cause the door to be effective. The door needs the hinges, and the hinges need the door in order to be useful and to function as it was intended. The, we, the younger need us. I told them, I ministered a little bit at the campus ministry where the Burmeister um, had wanted me to come out, and God moved. It was a small group, but oh my goodness, it was powerful. And um, I said, I'm older, but not old. <laughs> Um, but anyways, we need one another. We are a body that is fitly joined together. And like the puzzle, we each have a place or position that we must fill. If there is no order, the picture, like the puzzle that God desires to create, will become distorted. When I first came into church, the Lord had given me a beautiful promise. The scriptures were from Isaiah 54, 4 and 5. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more, for thy maker is thy husband. My husband did not serve the Lord with me. We were married for almost five years before I came to know the Lord. I felt reproach. I'm going to be transparent here. I felt reproach that somehow something was wrong with me. Spiritually, I felt like I was a, a widow and wore a garment of shame, feeling like I didn't fit in among the rest. Because it was so, not that it was intentional, but it was about the couple, the married. It was hard for you. I even had someone come up to me and say, well, your siblings, their spouses are in church. Why, aren't, why isn't yours and what's the matter with you? I began to question that. What, well, what is wrong with me? Why isn't my husband in church? But I felt the reproach that something was truly wrong with me and that I felt that shame, feeling like I didn't quite fit in with the rest. For some reason, I carried the weight of that burden throughout my marriage. I wore that dark, heavy, and unwanted garment for years, a constant reminder to me and to others that I was a widow. But I continued to remind the Lord of his promise to me that one day this unwanted garment would eventually be cast aside and the shame and the reproach would be left behind as well. But things did not turn out as I had imagined. Long story short, before my husband was diagnosed with cancer, the Lord let me know that my husband had only four, five to six months to live. I was making our bed at the time and I was stunned to hear such words. I was mad, and I thought, surely, Lord, this is not your will. I resisted those words, and I believed that there would be a miracle. As I watched my husband wither away before my very eyes, I continued to believe for the miracle of salvation 
My faith was strong. I even called and asked the minister to get the water ready. Get the water ready. I said, make it warm. I said, my husband, I am going to see my husband be baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. But my husband had, my husband had already repented, and I am so thankful for that, and God did a beautiful work there. But that night, my husband passed away. Then two years afterwards, as I was reading the word, I came across the very, some very familiar passages that we're all familiar with, and I had read many times before, and so have you. But this time, this time something divine was about to take place. In Luke chapter 1, we know that it is the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they had been faithful servants, and now they're old. They had wanted a child she could not bear. Yet the angel came and began to tell them, give them a divine assignment, and speaks and gives them glad tidings of what was yet to come. And then in verse 24, Elizabeth conceives and hides herself for five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherewith he looked upon me to take away my reproach among men. Back then it was a reproach if you did not have a child. Again, the Lord was taking me back from a scripture that I had, he had given me when I was a brand new child of God. Two years after my, he's back. He's taking me back. And I know he's going to say something to me. And I was reminded of my own reproach. But I continued to read where the angel came and visited Mary. Afterwards, letting her know that she was highly favored and that the Lord was with her, and she was blessed among women. Sorry. Mary was troubled at that saying, but the angel told her not to fear, and that she would conceive and bring forth a son. And then Mary said to the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Holy Ghost shall overshadow thee. I began to weep as the presence of the Lord just swept into my room. So strong to me, and then he spoke these words to me. Using the scripture, that's usually how the Lord speaks to me. It is out of his word, which I love because I feel safe. And he said, Elaine, I'm not saying that you can have a man or, or not have a man in your life husband, but I want you to know that what I want to do in you, to birth in you and through you has nothing to do with having a man in your life. But that's how I had felt and perceived because of how others had put that on me and we saw it. I want you to know, he said, that thing that shall be born of you will be a holy thing. It will be because of the Holy Ghost that shall come upon you and because of the power of the Most High. I want you to know that after all those long years that I felt that shame and that reproach, and I wore that garment, that the garment slipped away from me. Just as, allowed, just as God allowed greatness to come to Elizabeth in Mary's womb, God desires greatness to come forth from each of us as well. Yesterday, as I continued to pray and work on my notes, I grabbed my grief journal. After my husband died, I had a grief journal. I hold that thing so precious to me. I hadn't gone back to it in several, many years, but I, it was, I was amazed at um, the things that God had given me even the night before John had died and the dreams that God gave me after John died um, of my struggle of transitioning and who I was and my identity because the Bible says the two shall become one, and now I didn't know who I was. So that was a, a process that is normal, and we all go through it in that. But this, I want you to know, Sister Ellis inviting me to speak, using that scripture, Sister Hoffman asking me to speak, and then the Lord quickening her and saying, Elaine, the Lord's told me to tell you to come and speak. And I, I did. I, I, I called her up. I said, why not somebody from your own church? <laughs> she said, because the Lord said, I want you to come. I said, okay. Now I understand. 
So as yesterday I, I prayed and, and the Lord did change um, something and, and, and she agreed and the Lord changed hers as well. I decided to grab, grab my grief journal because I, I needed to find something that I had written in here. And, but as I walked, so it holds, like I said, many thoughts and words and scriptures that allowed me to walk through that long valley of the shadow of death after the, the loss of my husband and the hopes and the dreams that now seem to be shattered. I want you to listen to this. I, when I read this, I wept and I wept and I wept. Because I want you to know that too many times God gives us a word, a prophetic word. Either he, God gives it to you or someone else. And the years go and the years go. And you get older and you get older. And you feel that you've spent your strength in the wilderness. And then you've come to this place where the dreams and the desires that you had really are shattered, it seems. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. Do not earnestly remember the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive and know it? And will you not give heed to it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. That was three months after my husband passed away. I had no clue because I hadn't gone into my grief journal until yesterday. Is that divine or what? From the very beginning. Whenever you are praying for the kingdom of Christ, let your eyes behold the dawning of the blessed day which draweth near, when the crucified shall receive his coronation in the place where men rejected him. Courage, you that prayerfully work and toil for Christ with success of the very smallest kind. It shall not be so always. Better times are before you. Your eyes cannot see the blessed, blissful future. Borrow the telescope of faith. Wipe the misty breath of your doubts from the glass. Look through it and behold the glory. Reader, let us ask, do we make this our constant prayer? Remember that the same Christ who tells us to say, give us this day our daily bread, has first given us this petition, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Let not our prayers be all concerning our own sins, our own wants, our own imperfections, our own trials, but let them climb to the starry ladder and get up to the Christ himself. And then as you draw nigh to the sprinkled uh, mercy seat, offer this prayer continually. Lord, extend the kingdom of your dear son. Such a petition fervently presented will elevate the spirit of all your devotions Mind that you prove the sincerity of your prayer by laboring and promoting the Lord's glory. I want to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to this world. His gospel message of death, burial, and resurrection. I must take up my cross and follow him. Prepare my heart. John the Baptist came and said, the beginning of Jesus, the beginning of the, of, um, the gospel of Jesus Christ it said was John coming and saying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. We must prepare our hearts, open our hearts, read the word of God. Let it uh, dig up that fallow ground and that stony ground inside of us and digest the word of God and let the word of God. Um, remember how it said, even eat that word and let it become honey to us so that it can bring a healing because John came and prepared that message for Jesus to come. And what was the kingdom message? Healing. He wants to come and heal those wounds and that sorrow and that widow's garment and take that from you and give you a purpose and a plan for your life. He's calling you today and saying, young and old, 
We ha- he has a purpose and a plan for our life, a healing gospel that will bind up every room, wound, a peaceful gospel, a gospel, the forgotten gospel, my feet shod with a prop preparation. Then the Lord can come and prepare me for the work of spreading the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the whole gospel to the whole world. God wants to do a work of healing in our heart tonight to prepare us for the gospel of peace so that we can get this message out. We can't give peace away if we don't have it ourselves. We have to know who we are, what our identity in Christ is before we can win anybody. He's preparing our heart. And this church to bind together. You see, young and old, we are all struggling with the same purpose, the same longing. God, I want to be used of you. I want more of you. More of you. Spring up, oh well, Lord. Do a new thing in my heart tonight. Let me fulfill your purpose, Lord. Don't let me build walls of protection around my heart, Lord. But let those walls fall in front of you, Lord.